Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by James Hardy Siding, the best siding on the planet. We're going to head down to Sugarland and Mike, how are you? Hey Jim, how are you? Doing all right. Quick question is, I've got an older home. I've got the Whirlybirds um, on the roof. And I've been told they do kind of a marginal, if any, job of moving air, hot air, yep. out of the attic. Um, and, you know, creative bug, I was thinking, you know, how, what, if, if you could find a way to install, like, a high-powered fan to draw or pull air out in the same spot that the whirly gig is, is or the whirly bird is uh, sitting in. They make uh, them. Just remove the, they do. I figured oh, yep. they would. I, just, I haven't done any research on it. Yeah. Uh, t- if, How effective if you, are they? Well, let me ask you first. Do you have good soffit vents? I just replaced all my soffits, so I have a new hardy all the way around my house. Perfect. So my first choice on ventilation is, is going to be a uh, ridge vent, but my second choice is a solar-powered fan. And those can fit into that hole that you already have for the whirlybirds. Do you keep the whirlybird housing, or is the whole is it a totally different install? Total different install. Uh, okay. Well, that's something to think about. Yeah, because I have an old roof, and I only have ridge on one section of the roof that was uh, on a extension that was added before we bought the home. So okay. it's not ridge vented, and. Um, I just thought you were thinking of like kind of relatively easy fixes that could help, and especially in the summertime when it get so much heat up there. Yeah. But I'll take a look. I appreciate the, uh, the info. You bet. You take care. All right. Bye. Yeah, and the whole reason for ridge vents, hot air rises. It'll go out through the ridge vent and pull new air in through the soffit vents. And there's, you know, sometimes, especially at this time of year, it gets cold like it is today. People want to close all that stuff up. You don't want to do that because if you do, it can start sweating in the attic too much. And that is a problem then for your insulation. So keep the ventilation going. That includes the crawl space underneath block and base and pier and beam homes. Don't close up the ventilation uh, because it's there for more than just temperature. It's there for humidity as well. So uh, just a little tidbit of information. But, yeah, my first choice is the ridge vents then i go to the solar powered uh my least favorite is actually the whirly birds uh after so after solar powered i like the air hawks that's just a uh, basically a four inch tall or five inch tall box that's up there and it's just a spot for the hot air to escape out of john how can i help you hey uh, jim uh we've got a front door that has uh, um, that bra- uh, bronze or copper weather stripping on it. Uh, uh-huh. House the house was built in around 1990, and uh, we've been in here about 15 years. Um, last winter, when we had that uh, horrible cold snap, the yeah. cold air was just just pouring in around the doorknob and the uh, and around the bottom of the door. I I put some of that compressible foam, uh, uh, the kind that has 
adhesive on one side and it rolls out. Right. I, I, I put that around a few years ago, and it, it did fine except around the doorknob and the, uh, uh, the latch and around the bottom. Uh, is, there, is there anybody that, that I don't want to replace that with, with new bronze. I don't know that anybody does that anymore. But what, what's the, an effective way to seal that door without just buying a whole new door and, uh, and frame? Well, honestly, the bronze is still used on some doors. Um, what does happen with the bronze sometimes, though, is it'll flatten out to where yeah, that's what not a tight right, fit. But usually they're, they're attached so tight along the one side, you can literally pry them up again uh, and make it where it's a tight fit again. Oh, okay. You know, because it's, it's kind of like a semi-spring basically you know it's attached on one side and the other side sticks up and once right. it gets too flat you start getting air that can blow through it well you can pull that up a little bit and and uh, it'll kink up and stay up uh and be a tighter fit again now along the bottom where where it meets the threshold right um it, it it's like you're saying the the detached edge uh, that's on the door fits in it, it that's like the male edge and it fits into a female edge right on that on that threshold um, but I've I've tried to do what you what you said there uh, in yeah the it won't work on the bottom part uh-huh on the bottom uh, you know that's where they actually make a sweep that you can put on to the bottom of the door but I, I don't right. I don't know how you would attach it on a on on a metal door because uh, a lot of times if you're just a regular metal door, not the the big cast doors, it, it'll have a wood strip along there that you can attach it to. So it, well, it'll no, depend is, on what's down there wood, for material. I'm I'm sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. This this is a wood door. Okay. The uh, but the it's got the bronze you know nailed in around the frame. Ah. And. Uh, then yes, you can you can actually get a bronze piece like that at the box stores even that can go on the bottom of the door uh, and replace okay. what's down there. All right, well well I'll check that. Let's head to Round Rock, Texas. Tony, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Well, thank you. I'm I was amazed that I got in. I figured you're so popular it would be like calling Rush Limbaugh. Um, <laughs> Not even close. <laughs> well, I, and right now I can't get through to him. Anyway, yeah. uh, um, I, what, I I got an uh, you know notice violation from my HOA. I love those guys, and yeah. uh, they uh, they said clean your clean the brick on your uh, house. Well, I think over the years we've got like brick uh, up to about eight feet, and then the rest of it on up is hardy board okay and i think over the years we've been there about 20 years uh and i haven't maintained it like i should i think even hardy board whatever is on it uh wears off a little bit over the years with the environment and and it has dripped down that's the only thing i can figure out it has it's come down with the rain and stained our brick well i i can't uh uh figure out what is the best solution for me to use to go out there with my scrub brush and or even just a power washer and 
and get that stuff off there. A pressure washer itself would normally take it off without having to use anything. Uh, if you want to, if you want to use a scrub brush uh, and and uh, hit it with something, uh, TSP. The trisodium phosphate. Yep. Okay, I was afraid that might hurt the bricks. And nah, you'll be fine. Let's head to Spring and Bob. How can I help you? Yeah, I say I uh, I have a uh, two-story house, about 15 years old. It's uh, hardy plank, and the, the paint on the exterior of the house is getting chalky. And, okay. And uh, I figured I was going to have to paint this thing at some point. Yep. And I didn't know, you know, like how long can that chalky thing list, you know, last before I really have to paint it. And if I have to paint it, uh, what do I have to do to get that chalky junk off there so that I can uh, get a good, clean surface paint? Sure. Well, uh, the typically the reason they turn to chalk, a lot of people don't realize, but the, there's ingredients in paint and that doesn't wear very well. In fact, uh, some paints even have clay in them, and they'll turn to chalk after just a couple of years. But as far as cleaning it, uh, usually it's just a pressure washer and sometimes using a broom to brush it off, and that gets it ready where you can put the next coat of paint on it. Okay, and what kind of paint would I want to use over something like that? Uh, just any household paint. Yeah, so use a high-end paint. Paints have different ingredients. High-end. Yeah, okay. the, a high-end paint. You know, don't get the, the cheap $15 a gallon stuff because that's where you're going to have issues. Uh, the higher-end paints, uh, and I typically 30, stick 30 with Sherwin <laughs> uh, and up. You know, the, yeah, the 45 okay. and 50 bucks even. But Sherwin-Williams, okay. uh, Kelly Moore, uh, Valspar, are the three brands that I, I typically recommend because they, they do hold up and do a great job. All righty. And a spray job would be okay for that? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, that would be just Airless. fine. Careless sprayers? Yes. Yes, sir. Yep. All right. Now, I will tell you, ro painting it with a brush and roller and stuff typically will last a little bit longer because when you spray it, it's a little bit thinner. But either one will, will do you just fine. Barry, how are you today? Good. Well, how can I help you? I have a Lenore home built in 2001, and uh, I think it has the stress rods in the in the foundation versus uh, rebar. Right. And my I was just wondering how often does that have to be uh, the tension uh, redone on that? Never. Never. Uh, yeah, once it's done, it's it's done. Now, when they some of the salespeople when they sell those houses, they'll tell you, oh, you know, if you ever have foundation movement, they can open up these and retension it and take care. It doesn't work that way. Um, okay. But once it's done, no, you don't ever have to uh, re open them up and retension them or anything. Okay. All right. I just had to, you know, and then on that. Also on that slab there, I have several corners where that uh, the uh, the cement has uh, chipped off of the, uh, the yeah about uh, six inches back in each direction. Yeah, yeah. Very common. Is that, 
Okay. Nothing, nothing to worry about. It's not a structural thing. It's a, it's a, really just cosmetics. What causes that is the concrete is exposed on two sides, and so it dries quicker than the rest of the concrete does. And there's no reinforcing that goes all the way out to the corner that way, and so it just creates a natural weak spot that pops off. If, okay. if you got the concrete pieces, you can use some epoxy to put them back on. Uh, they will pop again later, but you know, every four or five years, you epoxy the thing on, and otherwise, you can take them off and not worry about it. Okay, all right, sounds good. And one other question. <clears throat> sure. So I'm going to add on to the back of my home with a uh, a larger patio slab, and um, and maybe a a second story room over my master bedroom. Uh huh. Um, with a slab like that, um, would there be any concerns for the added weight on on the existing slab? Yes. None at all. Okay. Perfect. That's all I need to know. I just was I was curious about that. I'm, uh, <clears throat> I just had some. Some plans in the future of maybe doing that. And I, sure. I wanted to, you know, I didn't want to do something, and all of a sudden I got foundation issues. Yeah. Now, just make sure to have the foundation checked before you do it, uh, just so that anything that is there can be addressed. But, no, nah, there's nothing that doing that would, it would cause any harm. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. Let's head out to Rockwall. Mitch, welcome to WBAP. How can I help you? Thank you. Hey, so I have a, I believe it's a train system. It's a, I have an option on my T-step for emergency heat uh, yes. setting. What okay. is that? I believe my unit may be an actual heat pump. The outside yes, unit may be and, heat and, pump. and that's what it means is that you have a heat pump. You're in an all-electric system, and... Um, Basically, the compressor works in reverse to pull warm air from outside and heat the house that way. When we get down to really below, when you get in below freezing, old systems it was 36 degrees, but uh, some of the newer systems go down well below freezing now. But when it gets to the point where it's so cold that the heat pump can't keep up, Flip it over to the emergency heat, and that'll take care of warming the house up uh, because that turns it back into where it's uh, strip heat instead of working off the compressor in reverse. Okay. I mean, I, my home still does heat when it dips under 32, but are you saying it'll be more efficient if I turn that to 30 to oh, no. emergency heating after I turn it after no, the 32? It, 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 is, it is definitely not more efficient. Uh, anytime you can leave it on the heat pump where where it's working normally, you're using about a third of the electricity that it'll use when you throw that emergency heat. Once you throw that okay. emergency heat, those those uh, heat strips start glowing, and you know that's what's heating the house. Uh, but like I said, the only time you need to do that is if it, if the heat pump can't keep up with keeping the house warm. Okay, and are those heat strips inside the furnace or on the outside unit? No, they're inside the furnace. Okay, and do I have to turn that emergency heating setting on once it dips below 32, or only nope. if I'm not, we're not warm enough? Only if you're not warm enough. 
Okay, so it won't damage the outside unit if I do not turn it to heat set or to emergency nope. heat. Now, okay. and, and here's what can happen. I mean, sometimes if it gets so cold and we got uh, drizzle and stuff like that, that outside unit could ice up. Yeah. And if that happens, just go over and hit the emergency heat. That shuts the outside unit off until it can defrost, and then you're good to go again. Okay, because I, I keep the uh, inside heating at uh, T-Stat at 65 when we're home. Which no. some people think cringe. You, 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 you like it cold. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and 80 I, during the summer. So. <laughs> no, no. I, I'll be honest. I set my, my heat, I, I set to 70, 71 at night, turn it down to 68. Uh, but air conditioning season, I'm usually got it at like 73. Uh, yeah. yeah so, uh, got to be okay. comfortable. <laughs> Hey, I get it. I am, and we we are. But yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate you. You bet, Mitch. You take care. Let's see. We're going over to Garland. Shirley, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. I have a, a question concerning regrouting tiles. Okay. My tiles have been down for a while, about 20 years. Still in good shape, but I have a few that are getting loose, and the grout is beginning to crumble. Right. I don't want to replace the tile yet, and I just, you know, made a few inquiries, and I'm getting mixed information about what's the best way to to do this, and I'm being told that just to, you know, just get it good and clean, and then fix the the grout itself, but uh, then they wouldn't guarantee how clean they could get it. Right. Typically, if you have it steam cleaned, the grout really comes out pretty good. Uh, so, and it doesn't cost very much uh, to get them steam cleaned. So, uh, that would be the direction I would go. And then, if you've got to do some touch up on the grout, you can. But, uh, like I say, you can get uh, Dalworth or somebody like that to come in and steam clean it. And, you know, we're typic- you're typically not talking. You know, maybe maybe a hundred bucks or something around that, and it, it takes all the buildup onto the uh, grout lines and stuff, and loosens all that debris and stuff, and takes it out. But then, when I repair the grout, I'm going to have a different color. Regardless of what you do, you're going to have a different color, because right now it's got dirt and grime that's been put into it over the years and so the, the color's not going to be the original color anyways and by steam cleaning it you'll get it back to as close to the original color as you can and then it's easier to um, mix the grout in order to match the color because you can take some other color grouts and mix it in to get the color as close as possible. Your other choice is to grind it all out and put new grout in, but that's a lot of work and, and actually pretty dusty. Um, and that was one of the things that was suggested, is that they a company come in and just remove just the, uh, the top portion yeah. of the grout. And, yeah, and, uh, go, and then, go in you know, over it. And well, But does that hold? It's not as good as, as replacing it all the way through. Uh, but if they get it thick enough, yes, it does hold. And should will epoxy uh, 
grout, adhere to a cement grout? Yes, yeah, you won't have any, shouldn't have any problem with that. Okay. All right. Okay. Most helpful. Thank you so no. much. You're welcome, Shirley. Have a good afternoon. Let's head to Euless and Monica. This is Jim. How can I help you? Hey, Jim. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I'm actually calling about uh, the creaky floors that I have upstairs and the stairs that, that are also creaky, and it's happened in the last couple of years, and I don't really know how to take care of it. And how old is the house? Uh, it was built in 2002. Okay. Yeah, it's it's of that age, you know, where everything has dried out and shrunk a, a little bit. And uh, so the creaking you're hearing is probably the wood just sliding ever so slightly on the nails. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it basically it's happening when you're walking across and, and, and up yes. the steps, correct? Yes, yeah. Uh, the are they wood floors or do you got any type of flooring over the platform? So there's carpet. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, there's carpet on oh, top. Yeah. So that makes it a little bit more difficult. Um but there there are some screws that are available for going through carpet that way. And basically you'd have to f- figure out where the floor joists are and the screw goes through the carpet, through the plywood into the floor joist and after it's screwed all the way down in the head breaks off and so you you it's not messing up the flooring of of any kind Um, but in order to use that you'd have to like i said figure out where the floor joists are the other option is to roll the carpet back and then you can see where the floor joists are and go ahead and put new screws in and that would take care of that squeak the steps that's a little bit tougher are they carpet or are they uh finished wood uh it's all carpet upstairs and the stairs and downstairs all wood okay so on the on the the stairs it's it's the same thing you can use those screws where the heads break off or remove the carpet i can tell you removing the carpet on the stairs would be costly because uh you know, it costs more to do the stairs than it does three three rooms usually. Uh, it, it's kind of a pain to do the 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 f- replace the carpet on steps. So uh, on the steps, mm, you know, I it's easier to find where the joists are because you can pretty much figure they're going to be. Uh, is this a standard like three foot, three to four foot wide step? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you can figure that the center is going to have a a uh, set of ra- uh, runners going up, and if you if it's not in the center, then take the width and divide it into three sections, and you'll have two runners that run up. Uh, some builders build it with one, some build it with two, and of course, all of them will have it on the outer edge, and so that one's actually a lot easier to figure out where the two buys are in order to run those screws that'll mm-hmm. snap off. And they work, th- th- this is exactly what those screws are designed for. It works very well, and typically you can get them at the box stores even. So should I involve a professional to do that? And if so, what kind of professional would be able to help me? Oh, any carpenter would be able to help you with this uh but no this is actually a very simple do-it-yourself project because all you have to have is a uh drill 
or a cordless drill or one with a cord. You put a screwdriver bit on it and screw the screws in. That's it. Okay. Well, that sounds great. And uh, do you think it could be an indication of foundation problem, though? Not at all. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. This came from Dave, and he says, I'm looking for information on a whole home backup electric generator. I have Atmos gas service line located near my co-serve electric power service. Entry to my house. Is it possible for that natural gas power for the generator? If so, how reliable is the gas supply during a major power outage like we had last February? I know gas service needs a low pressure source. How reliable is that pressure source during a major power outage? I tried to ask Atmos, but no answer. Well, tons of people have natural gas backup generators, and they work just fine. Uh, I really don't worry about a power outage from the storms like we had last February taking out the gas service, although there was some some issues uh, with the power companies themselves getting natural gas. Uh, I didn't hear a lot of issues with the individual homes getting natural gas. It was it was kind of a one of those weird things, but it is possible, especially, you know, a lot of times people want uh, generators not just for a storm like that was, you know, where it was cold and knocking out the power, but also when we have hurricanes come in, tornadoes, things like that that really tear up an area and doesn't necessarily tear up your house that's where the natural gas can run into a problem because if lines are broken in different places the gas spews out they end up cutting the entire service off and so that is an area where you could run into a little bit of a problem but in general i would say it's pretty reliable um now I have said for years, I personally like a diesel. Problem with the diesel, though, I mean, you, you've got to maintain it. You've got to go out there and, and be running it all the time. But you don't have to worry about the natural gas running out either. Um, on my own house, I just put in a uh, propane tank a couple months ago uh, for my heat and stuff. And in the long term, I will be putting a generator on that as well and so i don't have to worry about if the natural gas lines go down but truthfully at at this point uh if i had natural gas i would probably put the generator on that now a lot of generators have the option of running off that natural gas or some type of liquid fuel uh, which is something you maybe can look into but Take a look at Generac. They basically set the standard on these whole house generators, and uh, that that would be the direction that I would tend to go. And, and yes, uh, I would go with natural gas if I had that as an option. My particular house, not an option. I want to save money by using R11 batting instead of closed cell foam insulation underneath my 720 square foot bay house that is four feet off the ground. I know of two houses here that have used the batting and there doesn't seem to be a moisture problem. Also, can I use cellulose to insulate my walls instead of foam? 
Or will there be a moisture problem? I've heard that using foam in the walls can cause them to bulge unless you use retro foam. I talked to one foam contractor who wanted $2,500 to insulate the bottom. Does that sound about right? Thanks. Well, I, I don't know if that sounds right or not, simply because I don't know how thick he was going to put on for that. But foam insulation is expensive. Whether you go go with the uh, you know closed cell that can be put on new construction or the retro foam. Now, I have found the retro foam is not as expensive as as uh, foaming the walls prior to construction. But you are correct. You don't want to use the regular spray foam in the walls once they're built. Now, you can put it in prior to putting sheetrock on or paneling or whatever you're going to put on the walls. But to retrofit, you need to use the non-expanding retro foam. Otherwise, it will blow the walls apart. I mean, it does have that much expansive power to it. Now, as far as using the R11 batting instead of closed-cell foam insulation under your home, God bless you, because you're going to keep me in business another 20 years. It will not cause you a moisture issue in the first year or two. Talk to me five, six, seven, eight years down the road, and you're going to see that the wood is already rotting out. It's, it's not an instant thing, and yes, it could cause issues with wood floors if you had wood floors inside and stuff as well but it's a long-term problem because the weather cycles the humidity and things like that get into the fiberglass insulation when it's underneath a crawl space and open like that and it holds that moisture against the wood and that's where it becomes a problem it's a long-term slow decay of the wood when you have to have that repaired, you'd wish you had that closed cell foam insulation instead. Because even if it is that full 2500 just to put an inch or two there, that's way less expensive than doing the woodwork under that home. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com. 